Yeah, that's uh, wonderful. And I can assume you have also the emotional side. And that's, I think, leads to the question about what's the motivation behind uh, also losing, losing a Nobel Prize book. I think that yeah. you said that the same that you wanted to convey that scientists are people and scientists stereotype also neglect the positive human qualities like vulnerabilities and emotion. So if you can tell us about why you started about the idea of writing the book, what motivated you? So the book was written as uh, as an appeal to to non-scientists really it's a, it's a memoir about what it's like to be a young scientist and and feeling like you're on the verge of a great breakthrough and the emotions the struggle the competition that most people don't think about most people get scientists wrong in many different ways uh, mm -hmm. most people think a scientist looks a certain way has a certain upbringing has certain um, in, in, you know, intrinsic gifts <clears throat> and, and will say things like, I'm not, I had Professor Jim, Jim Gates, who's the past president of the National Society of Black Physicists on my mm -hmm. podcast multiple times. He's mm -hmm. the president elect of the American Physical Society. Mm -hmm. And he wrote a book about Einstein uh, called Proving Einstein Right. And in that book, he, he basically says, you know, most people say, I'm not Einstein, so I can't be a scientist. No, Einstein wasn't uh, Einstein for most of his life. It's only in retrospect that we realize this. And this is coming from Jim Gates, the father of supersymmetry. Oh, this guy's a titan. And he's like, I I'm not as smart as that guy. But it doesn't matter because we have a place. We have a role to play. And I want to convey that to scientists for the following reason. My book is written from the perspective of an experimental scientist, someone who builds telescopes, someone mm -hmm. who builds detectors. I don't build cool, squishy robots, but I build really cool things that can peer back to the beginning of the universe, potentially. All the books that were in existence before my book really portrayed the subject of the, of the cosmic microwave background, uh, et cetera, from a purely theoretical point of view, meaning colleagues like um, uh, Lisa Randall, uh, Max mm -hmm. Tegmark, uh, I'm thinking of Sean, Sean, Sean Carroll, Sean, um, Brian Green. All these people are brilliant and wonderful thinkers, and yet they come at it from the perspective of a, of a theoretical physicist. And from my perspective, we needed somebody that could explain how the experiments work and how the details of the instrument work. And that was very gratifying to do that. And actually, I had two people you know, endorse the book that really made a great, uh, a big impact on me. One was um, uh, Sir, uh, Sir uh, Roger Penrose, uh, who just won the Nobel Prize. And I actually just had a couple of emails with him today. He's going to come back on my podcast. I'm going to do a live question and answer with him. Uh, yeah. And he, he said it was an intriguing book. He learned something from my book. I mean, that was incredible. Uh, the other one who gave a wonderful blurb was uh, Lord Martin Rees. Uh, mm -hmm. of Cambridge. So that's rival university to Oxford. And Lord Martin said, you know, this is a great book. I just wish it didn't talk about the Nobel Prize. <laughs> but actually, you know, uh, the book has this, uh, I don't know, uh, I'm showing it for my video audience, but there's, it's hard to see. Uh, hopefully everybody has it out there. But there's three chapters about the Nobel Prize. And the rest is about being a memoir of my experiences, growing up, trying to learn about astronomy, uh, mm -hmm. worshiping heroes uh, of, of astronomy like Galileo and mm -hmm. even Nobel Prize winners. And uh, how does it feel to come close to your goal, whether it be uh, becoming a Nobel Prize winner or winning the World Series? You know, we just had the World Series here in America. And, you know, one team wins, one team loses. Now, is the Tampa Bay uh, Devil Rays, are they not as good? Or they, should they be shamed of not winning? Or my Padres here in San Diego? Of course not. Only one team can win it. 
and they can only win it basically for one year. So what, the next year they're not as good? You know, so my, my point is that you spend most of your time experiencing headwinds, adversity, uh, challenge. And so enjoy that ride. Don't only focus on the golden gilded idol of winning the Nobel Prize, for example. Yeah, that's wonderful. But I would like to ask you about your thoughts about Nobel Prize, because I think uh, you're not the only one that we have recently witnessed some time and there's a biases and who will be awarded the award and Nobel Prize and the percentage of women as well uh, who have been awarded in 55 years ago. So if you can tell us, because you've proposed some solution for that, what do you think about Nobel Prize in first place? How the uh, committee doing selection and can you tell us about your thoughts about that? Yeah. Well, one of my friends pointed out recently that since my book came out, the number of uh, female Nobel Prize winners in physics has doubled. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, it was only at, uh, at two, <laughs> so it, it's not, uh, not super significant, but, uh, but it's moving in the right direction. And just this year, my friend Andrea Guez at the, uh, at the University of California, Los Angeles, which is not mm -hmm. far from here, uh, she won the Nobel Prize. I'm hoping to have her on my podcast uh, very soon, too. So having, um, having excluded large numbers of scientists throughout the years, the most common objection I get to the Nobel Prize or, or in favor of the Nobel Prize is that, um, you know, they always do a good job and scientists aren't biased. Now, I don't know about you, maybe you've experienced some bias in science. I mean, maybe you've realized that scientists aren't uh, free of prejudice, free of judgment, free of bias, but I'll take you back uh, to official records uh, of the Nobel Committee back in the 1920s and the 19-teens. And you'll know of a scientist named Albert Einstein. We just talked about him. He came up with special relativity theory in 1905. He followed that up with an even greater discovery in mm -hmm. 1915, uh, 1912 to 1915. And between 1905 and 1922, when he finally received the 1921 Nobel Prize, uh, a gentleman by the name of Gustav Dahlen, uh, who is Swedish, won the Nobel Prize in physics for an outstanding discovery called the Lighthouse Automatic Gas Accumulator. Now, I don't know how often you use a gas accumulator there in Europe, but uh, I, I've never used one myself. And yet I use general relativity every time I turn on my GPS. Um, and without it, it wouldn't work. So, uh, so now you have to ask why. Was there an exclusion principle at work? Uh, and in fact, there was. There was a man by the name of Philip Lennard, and he was Hitler's chief of Aryan science. And he didn't like people uh, that were Jewish to get recognition. In fact, he derided uh, the science that Einstein did, this cosmology, this theoretical physics. They called that Jewish science, and they said it was antithetical to Aryan physics and that they had a rule because if you won a Nobel Prize, you could nominate the winners of all future Nobel Prizes. So Lennard was, on, was the chief of Hitler's Aryan physics um, uh, uh, campaign. And so for many years, they ba basically made a pretext that Einstein you know, didn't develop anything worthy of the Nobel Prize, but secretly they said Einstein must not win a Nobel Prize. So no. now ask yourself, Philip Lennard won the Nobel Prize uh, in 1904, 1905, I believe. Mm -hmm. And he won it for the discovery of the photoelectric effect, which is what Einstein in part would, part would win the Nobel Prize for in 1921. Uh, so now between those times, I mean, he was a smart person. I mean, uh, William Shockley won the Nobel Prize for the invention of the transistor and advocated for what's called eugenics. He wanted to eliminate the, the uh, preponderance of African-Americans. 
And so you can have great scientists that are also terrible human beings. And so my perspective is uh, the Nobel Prize, by not rectifying its past sins, it has mm -hmm. committed sins against science, against the history of science. It has yeah. excluded people and it continues to do so. And mm -hmm. I claim in the book, it will do so at its own peril. At some point, the Nobel Prize will either rectify and have redemption or it will cease to be as prestigious as it is now.